to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the first evening service of Sunday the 2nd of May 2010 and here to give a presentation about his missionary work in Papua New Guinea during 2007 is Brother Michael Schmidt. Well, good evening. Today I'm going to give you a long overdue uh, report from my missions trip to Papua New Guinea in um, 2007. So way back in 2007, three years ago now, hard to believe, I uh, decided to go on a missions trip to find out for myself more about missions and if God can use me in missions. And um, I'd like to share a bit tonight from my experiences and what I learned. And um, yes, it's long overdue here because I know this church here has been, you have been praying for me and uh, you also very generously been giving towards me, helping me financially. and. I remember the biggest financial gift I received for that trip was from this church, and um, it's just an expression of your love to me, and um, I know um, that you do love me and have, have me in your hearts, and I, I just want to say thank you again for right now for, um, for your love uh, throughout the years also. Um, now, I have a very long presentation uh, prepared on Papua New Guinea, and um, I was told I'd have to keep it short because we have a lot of other things. So I have around 140 slides, and I thought if I limit each slide to about a minute, we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> if not, I may just connect my uh, power to my laptop, so in case my six-hour battery time runs out or something. But um, well, just uh, <laughs> go. So here's the flag. Of, can you see all right? Yeah. Papua New Guinea. I went uh, on a, a, a missions trip or a missions experience when you transmission called Interface. Um, first question, you can show me or tell me where Papua New Guinea is on the map. Does anybody really have any idea? Somebody said near the Philippines. That's correct. Okay. Usually the answers I get is um, near South America or in Africa, but it's actually just above. Well, just above Australia, right over there. Um, so that's where I was heading. It's pretty much on the other end of the world. It's, if you want to go for the furthest travel anywhere in the world, you just go over there because it takes you ages to get there. I had to fly from Frankfurt, about eight-hour flight to um, Dubai, then layover for several hours, then another eight-hour flight to Singapore, and then there another in Singapore. I had about six hours or so, and and then another flight uh, from Singapore to the capital of Papua New Guinea, Port Moresby. And then in PNG, then another one and a half hour flight to, to where we're headed, and then another hour drive. And um, so <laughs> eventually you get there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, before I get to that, um, I just wanted to share when I, when I was, um, yeah, when we, when we came to Singapore, I met up with a group of students that will be with me. They came from America. I was the only one coming from Germany. And starting in Singapore, we met up and um, we got together and traveled together from that point. But um, we got speaking to a Chinese lady at the airport in Singapore. And uh, we asked her, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? And she was going on holiday to some beautiful island somewhere. and talking about that, and she asked us, what are we doing? And so we tried to explain we're going on a missions trip, and uh, she didn't have any idea what that was, what's a missions trip, and what is missions. And well, 
missionaries are the ones they they go into another country to tell people about Jesus, about Jesus Christ. And uh, she just looked back with a blank expression on her face. She she had never heard of Jesus Christ, and uh, we then tried to explain to her Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God who made the world. And uh, again, she. We could have been talking, I would say Chinese, but it's not going to be Chinese, but another language. And, um, and she would have understood just as much um, because she obviously understood our English. Everything else we were saying in English, we were getting a response. But when we talked about Jesus Christ, when we talked about God, it was as though, and I'm pretty sure she did not have any idea who this God was. And there dawned on me that day, before I even started the mission trip, um, how difficult it must be to bring the gospel to somebody who really has never even heard the name of Jesus Christ or, or even knows about God. And how do you even start going about, uh, about that, sharing the gospel message? And um, I, when I go on planes, I'm not the one usually that easily gets into conversation to the guy that next, sits next to me. I'm, just uh, sit there and read a book and say hi, maybe, and that's it. But um, I was praying, you know, God, you have me for a reason, and uh, I'm on a missions trip. I want to be involved in missions. People are praying for me, and I want to be a witness even to the next guy I, I sit on in the plane. And um, it, it just so happened, well, I was on the flight to PNG, and that was the first native from Papua New Guinea that I met, sat next to me uh, on the plane. And his name was Anton, and uh, he was coming back from a Taekwondo tournament somewhere. He was involved for his country in Japan. And um, and so I was wondering, well, will I even be able to share something with him somehow? And But we got to talking, and for me it was just amazing. I didn't have to even yeah, find any opportunities or, or speak the word. He was just asking me questions and telling me from his life. And I was able just to respond in a natural way and give him answers and point him to Jesus Christ. And that was just uh, wonderful for me to see how God just even answered that prayer where I, for myself, am not an outgoing person and have a really hard time sharing the gospel on a one-on-one -on -one level with people. And But, you know, God uses us. God can use us, especially then when we, when we believe we can't do it and when we're weak. And in those situations, especially, I believe God does use us. And can use every one of us here in this room. Um, so here is Papua New Guinea, and uh, I don't know if you can see um, about Port Moresby there in the south as the capital, and then a bit higher up, Goroka is then in the highlands where we went to um, by plane. So this was the plane, Air New Guinea. And I'll just show you some few photos from Papua New Guinea where we realize country is a bit different than the UK or USA. Um, so we got inside the plane and uh, we noticed um, they had some patchwork there going on and some drippings through the cracks. And in fact, uh, there was something from the ceiling dropping on, dripping on my lap like every, I don't know, 20 seconds or something, it would be a drop and then it would come on my lap. and. I didn't know how to move my, my leg around if I should. Um, but yeah, you just get used to these things, you know. That's that's life there, and um, it's not always as perfect as it is over here. Um, transport, of course, for us also on the road was a bit different. Um, we had this truck. We were 
don't know, some 20 students in there, all wooden benches, bumpy rides, but um, a good time. And uh, some dangerous bridges to cross. Um, probably not seen as too dangerous in Papua New Guinea. That's probably like a normal kind of bridge. You know, people don't make a big fuss about that. There are no warning signs or anything. It's just like, yeah, there's the next bridge. Let's go across. Um, but there are some things that they do place warning signs for um, that are dangerous and that you need to be aware when you come to Papua New Guinea. And I'll just show you one of these. Um, uh, <laughs> so it just tells you what this creature is that's coming up along the road and um, what you have to do when it behaves in a certain way. Um, and to be honest, this is actually a photo off the internet. I never even saw a traffic light when I was in Papua New Guinea, so that must be really uh, quite the thing if you, if you see a traffic light somewhere over there. Um, here is uh, the entrance to the interface campus that New Tribes Mission has. They have three times in the year um, a five, six-week program on missions uh, course, a missions course, where there's lots of classroom training about missions and lots of practical um, involvement also in missions and get a good taste for it. And so this is just the entrance and this was the group of students that I was with, mostly Americans. And uh, these are missionaries that were working on, on the Interface campus or that have come in, especially from America or wherever, just to help teach uh, some classes for a few weeks to us. And this is the campus, beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, in just the whole country. We'll see some more pictures later. Just it's a, a very beautiful uh, country. You can see how wonderful God has created his world. Uh, this was one, this was my cabin. I stayed in with two others um, inside of the cabin. And this is a bit different. This is a bucket shower. So there's no shower like we have it. You just fill up a bucket, put the water in the bucket, put, pull up, pull the bucket up on the string so it's hanging over your head. And then there's a little disc at the bottom with some holes inside. And if you turn it right, then the water comes through the holes. And then you have a certain amount of time to get your shower done. And if not, you better have a spare bucket there, maybe ready or so to, to fill up again if you need more time. What was um, very nice, we started out every day in the morning in prayer, um, each cabin. And we would, they would give us a country and facts about a country and the mission needs about different countries. And we would pray for many countries in the world that um, have, where there are still many unreached people groups. And it was just so amazing for me to see the big need that there still is in, in many countries in the world of, of people who have never heard God's word in their own language, who do not have a written word. And, um, and I remember just the one time when we prayed for Mexico in particular, there was something like over 200 people groups in Mexico that we were praying for without God's word in their own language. That's just Mexico. And uh, that just blew me away, but uh, that was just one country. And so there is still a huge need for missions. Um, and this is part of the classroom training we had uh, here. This is one on pidgin English, uh, learning the, the um, trade language that they have there, which is a lot like English, but their own kind of way, uh, like us simple English or um, so we learned that but we learned also a lot about the culture a lot about missions a lot about how to find out God's will for your life um, 
about different issues and missions, um, about uh, language learning, and uh, yeah, here's things next one. There's phonetics. Um, and it was just really an eye opener to, to find out so much information about what, what missions about, what missionaries go through, what they experience, um, and what they need to know when they go on, on the mission field. Um, on Sundays, we would have our own church service. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't, it's not really a proper church, it's just our own worship service we would have because there would be no suitable local church in the area that we could have attended. Um, there'd be time for fun things, shooting here, bow and arrows, and volleyball, and rugby, and some interesting food here. This is uh, crocodile meat. Had our first uh, try of that. Um, then on, in some evenings, we would just gather around a bonfire and uh, have a time also where we could just uh, share what we've been experiencing and what God has been teaching us during our time there. And that was a really wonderful time just to hear how God is working in individuals' lives in different ways and, and showing them things and encouraging them towards missions. Um, I just have a few photos here from, from the countryside of Papua New Guinea. Um, so you get an idea of some beautiful places there. And, uh, this here are some photos from the village. The Interface Campus is um, located very close to some to three tribal villages of the Benabena tribe uh, up there in the mountains. And so this is a bit of where they live. You may not be able to see this very well. This is their um, basketball court. Maybe you will see on the left, there's a little somebody, I don't know who, set up a basket there for, for playing basketball. Um, and so these, when, when they wouldn't be working, they would often just gather around, sit around and play cards. And uh, many times you'd just be walking along and in the middle of the road, there'd be just these torn up cards lying on the road. You go there and then you go another place and you see cards are torn up. And what they would do, people, if, if they would lose or so in their game, they'd say, these cards, they're bad luck. Or just, they tear them up and they buy a new set of cards. And so when you ever see them playing cards, they always have brand new packs of cards. <laughs> because, yeah, I don't know. Um, but their law, these people are very much influenced by superstition and, um, and these things. So, and even in playing cards, it has a role. Here are some coffee beans there. And, and children just very friendly, very um, glad to see young people come and, and play games with them and, and get to know them. And uh, yeah, I think they taught us a few games also. They also wanted their photos taken all the time and always like a thumbs up. And, and then always, yeah, let me see, let me see the photo and, and then... Uh, video camera also. This little fellow here, he demonstrated a slingshot to me on a chicken. I don't know if it was his dad's or his neighbor's or somebody's, but he showed me how good he could aim and shot at the chicken and the chicken was just running away after it was hit. And um, I wonder if anybody recognizes what they're showing me here or what, what's in the hand, what they're showing. Anybody, anybody? See that? 
difficult to see. Uh, next picture make it a bit clearer. Um, it's a bee, and it's it's poked up on a stick, and it's still alive, and it's trying to fly away, but it can't because it's poked up on the stick. So it's just making a zumming, humming noise, and uh, maybe that's their way of having a little ventilator or something. But I don't know how they did that, but they must be clever in some ways. Um. <laughs> Yeah, then um, we would have a classroom training, but then also a lot of the learning there would be just uh, language and culture learning, um, and directly from one of the uh, tribal people there. And so here, for example, we, we're just trying to learn the language, and we do that by pointing at different objects, and, uh, and then he says the word, and we point at them again, and, and then we try to say the word, and... Uh, and so on. When you do not have any books, you do not have any grammar rules, you don't have any um, dictionaries or anything, you just have to ask and try and find out and, and work it out yourself. Um, and you know, also just how to find out how do these people live, how do they eat, how do, um, what do they work. And so we followed uh, this guy, his name is Puxy, and uh, we just went with him one morning and he showed us what he did in the morning and how he prepared his breakfast, and uh, what they would have three times a day would be sweet potato. Um, that would be their main meal, um, usually three times a day, sweet potato. So here's in the morning, he's cooking the sweet potato. We're trying to take notes following how does he do it and what's important. And, um, and while we're standing there um, and waiting, he didn't have anything to say, so he just said, my father um, married twice. And then I go like, oh, okay, so did your, did your mother die? Said, no, no, my mother is still alive and, and has another wife. And I'm like, oh, okay. So um, we didn't, I didn't really, wasn't for me to, to say anything at that point, but um, it's just for us something completely strange. And you, there you meet somebody who has, has something, a di completely different way of living. Um, and you realize that there are big differences in cultures also. This was his house, also just very beautiful place up on the mountain. And we learned how to plant, uh, do gardening work, and how they do that. This is a banana plant. And uh, we were just on that day when he said, we'll teach you to plant some stuff. And so we're just following him, and we go into some garden, and we dig out these plants and, and digs out another one. And then we walk off again and we walk to his house and I ask him, so was that garden over there, was that, was that yours? No, it wasn't. <laughs> and so we just took somebody's plants and, and planted them in his garden because, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he taught us like also think how to make a fire without any matchsticks or anything. Um, not that I'm very good at it, but there's a way, apparently. Um, and then also the special meal that they would have is called a mumu. Um, and it's a kind of a, called a ground oven. And they would dig a hole in the ground and place heated stones inside, heat them up and place the food inside. And then all around it, put all these leaves and, uh, and grass on, on top and, and earth. 
and then we all all cover it up like this, and then we'll be cooking. And uh, then they just dig it all out again, and um, it will be ready to eat. Now here we have some sweet potatoes and some meat and some uh, vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> On that day, um, I was I had I was sick, so I was not allowed to participate in the meal, and I was quite thankful. So. <laughs> And this was a special day. They had a special um, something to do when the when the um, called a sick moon when the girls become of a marriageable age, and uh, there's a big celebration or fest festival for that and big meal. And so we just came to the village. They had these cows slaughtered. Um, again, the place where they would cook it later, and they invited us to come along and to watch and and they'd be then also in their traditional. Uh, clothing. Now here's something a bit different maybe. You may not have been expecting this slide over here, but I had to take a photo of that because that was not up in the tribe in the in the in the mountains, but that was more in the city. But here we have Coca-Cola and uh don't know if you can see. Um but Coca-Cola are doing a great work of bringing their product to the whole world, to the farthest ends of the world. And um, yeah, even in Papua New Guinea, you see here on the right, you see, may even see the Coca-Cola Zero um, poster. That's, that's in 2007. It only just reached Germany, or the UK for that matter, probably. Uh, and it's already there in Papua New Guinea. And uh, it's becoming part of life, even for them, it's a normal thing. They, everybody knows about Coca-Cola, you know, even these guys, they know about Coca-Cola. And uh, in fact, Coca-Cola is doing such a great work in bringing their product. They have such a passion. They want everybody in the world to drink their product and, and to buy it more, probably. And uh, they've gotten this far that 79% of the world have heard about Coca-Cola, 79% of the people in the world. And 72% of the world's people have seen Coca-Cola somewhere. And 51% of the world's population have actually tasted Coca-Cola. And uh, that are some incredible statistics. Um, I don't know if there's any other product in the world that comes close to that, but um, what about our product? We don't have a product. What about our person that we want to bring to the world? Now, Jesus Christ, he said to the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so Coca-Cola can extend their product to everybody and share it with everybody, but they're not really offering a lot to the people. People will drink it and they'll have to buy another bottle and, and, and it's not going to ever satisfy them. It's not going to give them anything really that they need in life and anything that will really make their life better, just maybe for their taste buds for a few seconds and um, quench their thirst for a while. But we have something to share with the world, a person, Jesus Christ, who can give them eternal hope, 
can give them, offer them eternal life and um, forgiveness of sins. Everything that they need, everything any person in this world needs is found in Jesus Christ. And what are we doing compared with Coca-Cola to, to share this message with the world? And we see their efforts. They go to the farthest end. They, they advertise everywhere on television and in football stadiums and everywhere. And um, what they're offering is very, very little. But we have so much to offer the world. But what are we doing? How are we sharing it? And how far are we going? How much are we giving ourselves so that other people can also share in this eternal life that Jesus Christ offers? just want to give you an idea of um, Christianity around the world, um, the figures. And now these figures here that I'm going to be showing do not represent born-again believers, but just nominal Christians in the country. So that would include Catholics, Protestants, and England Anglicans, and you know, all variations, any kind of person who, say, who calls themselves Christian, even though we know what a true Christian is. But in the UK... For example, how much, how many percent would call themselves Christians? Sorry? 70 is very yeah, good. 68, I don't know, maybe something like that. Maybe been older figures, what I have also. Um, the Netherlands, we have some people from the Netherlands here. <laughs> or do we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's it like there? Any idea? Sir? Um, 50 only, yeah. That surprised me. I only looked that up yesterday to find out the figure. And the Netherlands is the most secular state in Europe. Um, I'm surprised, really. So, um, The USA. 99? No, it's not that much. <laughs> but it's higher than the others. Yeah, it's 85%. Um, Chile. We have some people. Somebody from Chile here, would you know? Sorry? 90? Um, yeah, 87. Of course, the majority Catholics, of course. Um, Jamaica? <laughs> okay, I didn't hear that. I'll just show it. Okay, 65 is what I found yesterday as a percentage. Um, Egypt? 10%. I think that's very good, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're coming to countries where they're maybe not as high as in, in others. Um, Indonesia, we don't have anybody in Indonesia. These are just, um, I don't think we do, you know. Um, but Indonesia, 16%. Malaysia, 9%. Okay, last question. What would you think for a country like Papua New Guinea? I don't know how much you know about it. What would you think Christianity? Nominal Christianity would be 20, 10, 5, 97% uh, people, percentage of people in Papua New Guinea call themselves Christians. Um, I'll give you some illustrations of that, what that means. Um, when we came to Papua New Guinea and we had a ride from the airport to a hotel or somewhere, um, there was a radio channel on and it wasn't a Christian radio channel, it was a secular radio station and they were playing Christian songs on their secular radio station, gospel songs about Jesus. Um, in the airport, 
they had a little CD sale place. Half of the CDs was Christian music. Um, here, this is out in by the uh, Interface Campus in one of the villages. Here's what we see is called Papua New Guinea Bible Church. Um, this is the inside. Here's another church. This is the Lutheran Church, I believe. Here's another church in the middle of the bush somewhere. Here's some hats. I don't know if you can read it. It says, Jesus is my boss. And uh, you get those in your local supermarket, um, not in your Christian bookshop, but, you know, go to Tesco, go to Sainsbury's. They're, they're equivalent. You go there, you find those hats or caps or T-shirts. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. I love Jesus. Um, that's just, you see people walking around with that kind of thing. Um, Christian radio, Bible FM. And this is inside a school, the Ten Commandments. So just a few illustrations of the influence of Christianity. Um, I think the, the, I've seen some stamps, postage stamps, you know, of Papua New Guinea where they're commemorating 50 years of Wycliffe Bible translators in Papua New Guinea or um, Missionary Aviation Fellowship has a postage stamp um, of also 50 years or something to commemorate that. So there's a huge Christian influence in that country. Um, and we may ask now, well, it seems that they have a lot more, there's a lot more Christianity in Papua New Guinea than in the UK or even in the USA. Why will we send missionaries to Papua New Guinea? What, why, what's the point? Is they are 97% Christian, they say. We see, we see all these things of Christianity a lot more than in our own country. Why do, they, why do they still need missionaries? And um, the answer to that is, of course, that does not mean when 97% of the people call themselves Christians, that doesn't mean they are born-again Christians. And there's a problem in Papua New Guinea um, with Christianity, and it's called, uh, it's a word I learned when I was there, it's called syncretism. And uh, the word syncretism means it's a mixing of two kinds of beliefs that are completely different and is mixing it to something new which contradicts either of the two original systems of belief. And that's what happens a lot in Papua New Guinea. They have their traditional beliefs, and then there's Christianity coming that has come in, and they mix it. They do not go from here to there, but they, they take on Christianity, and they create something which is completely different from their old belief, but also completely different from Christianity. Um, here's... Uh, illustration of, of what that can mean. This is not in Papua New Guinea. This is a photo from a church in India, um, very beautifully ornated. And uh, if you look a bit closer over there, you see a portrait of Jesus Christ. As you cannot find him in the Bible, um, where he seems to be taking on or practicing another religion. And um, of course, that has got nothing to do with Christianity. Um, this is another kind of form of religion that they have created and where they have added Jesus Christ to their own forms of beliefs. And um, this is important to know about these things that are happening because um, we need to be convinced that if, if this is, if Jesus Christ really is the only way and not any other and not any mix or anything, then we need to really get the message out. 
Um, there was just one verse in Second Kings that says, So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images. It's just an illustration again of this syncretism. But we, you cannot fear the Lord and serve graven images. Um, you, you, you serve one master and hate the other. And um, we see in the Bible very clearly that it's only through Jesus Christ that salvation is to be found. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So the Bible is very clear that it's only Jesus Christ and, and not any other person or way or belief um, that will give us salvation. Only in Jesus Christ is to be found. And this, this gospel we must proclaim um, Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is what saves us. Um, now some statistics about the need in Papua New Guinea. I'll just go through these languages. 816 different languages in Papua New Guinea. It's the country with the most languages in the world. And out of these languages, how many Bibles are there? There's eight languages that have the complete Bible out of 816. And there's a few more. They have New Testaments. 150 have New Testament. And 110 have Bible portions. And there's work in progress in another 170 languages in Papua New Guinea, but that still means that there are 378 languages in Papua New Guinea where there's not one single word of the Bible, of God's Word, been translated for these people. And so there is still a huge, huge need in that one country, but not only in that one country, but all around the world. It's estimated some, something like 7,000 languages in the world and something like 2,000 languages still need Bible translation work done. Um, we also went to visit a church, a tribal church, where a Bible-believing tribal church, and uh, where NTM missionaries had been, had shared the gospel, had given them teaching from the Bible, and they had come to found to faith in Christ and and seen a change in their life. And um, we got to able, we were able to speak to these people, and um, they were sharing with us about their experiences about how thankful they were for missionaries that came. But not, and first of all, thankful for the missionaries themselves, but thankful for God and for what God had done for them through Jesus Christ and how he, Jesus Christ, had died on the cross for their sins. And, and they were freed. They were, were living a life before of fear of the spirits and in bondage to sin. And Jesus Christ made them free from that. And they had hope. They had assurance of eternal life and joy and um, and what gripped me also a lot there, these people are also reaching out to, to their neighbors. They wanted to share. They didn't just keep it to themselves, but pass this message on. But they also challenged us, and they said, would you please come back here again and be a missionary, and be a missionary among us? And this is something, I think, in, in Europe or in USA where we, that we don't hear so much, um, where the where people in our society try to say, those people out there, they want to be left alone. They don't want missionaries coming in and intruding and, and forcing their beliefs on them and, and, and teaching them things. They just, they're happy the way they are. Well, that's not true. And um, I heard it, you know, for me, from, from, well, from a person 
himself saying that to me. And, and uh, they want people. And there are many other tribes out there. They're asking for missionaries. Um, I had heard that there are something like something like 100 tribes that have written to a new tribe's mission and asking for a missionary to come. And in many of those cases, the mission had to say, we'd love to, but we don't have the people to send right now. Um, and so just to, to come towards the end of what I wanted to say is what, is what impacted me on my trip there is for one, to see the big need for missions, a huge need for people to go out into another country and live among foreign people, uh, get to know a foreign culture, live among them and, and share the gospel with them. But also what impacted me is what I thought about my own life and about anybody's life is life is short. We only have a short time here on this earth. Uh, Psalm 90.10 says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So threescore years and ten, that's seventy, and fourscore years is eighty. Um, so 70 or 80 years is the time of life that we have. And I'm standing here, and I look at my life, and 30 years are gone already. I can't use those 30 years that are gone to be a missionary. And, um, but I still have some years. Everybody of us still has years, has time. Um, later, a few verses later, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And uh, that's something also I wanted to think about. How many days do I have left? How many years do I have left? How can I use my life and with what I have left to do something that's value, to do, not to live for myself? My life's going to be over soon. And if I live for myself, it won't have any worth at all. And um, but there's, God has given us a life. If we know Jesus Christ, our purpose is to make Jesus Christ known to others also. And how are we doing that? Um, I want to read you a quotation from a book that challenged me a lot. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. And that, just the title alone, I could just read that and that'll be enough to challenge my heart just to be reminded of that phrase, don't waste your life. Uh, John Piper is the author and he writes this. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells us about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago, when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life, before you give an account to your creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. This is a tragedy, and people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you 
to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put out my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. That's the message we're getting all around us on television and advertising. You need this to be happy. Buy this. Do this. This will give you happiness in life. This is what you need to make your life better. And that's not true. That is, if we live for those things, we, we will have wasted our life. And um, we have uh, Shelley going out to uh, Kenya very soon. And I'm sure she's not going to Kenya to play softball or to collect shells. Um, she's going there for a greater purpose than that, and that is to have a part in the great work of missions that God is doing in that country and through also the missionaries she'll be working with and, and the people she'll be meeting there. And she'll be investing her life for uh, no, the four months, yeah, four months of her life and her time and energy and effort into giving of herself to other people so that other people can know about Jesus Christ. That's not a waste of life. That's not a waste of time. People today, you go out here in town, most people would say, what a waste. What a waste. You could be earning money. You could be going on a great holiday somewhere. What a waste. But it's not a waste. This is the best, the best thing that we can do is, is to invest our life in, in others so that they can know Jesus Christ. Um, last, when I was here in February, I shared uh, a verse or a couple of verses from Matthew 9:37, where Jesus said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And uh, the situation, I said, is still true today. There are few laborers that go out, actually, and, and, and go into the mission field and let go of, of their homes and families and comforts and say, I'll go out there just to serve God with my life. And um, it's a challenge for us to do that. But um, what I also pointed out last time is that God, the answer given to that by Jesus Christ was not, therefore, go ye into all the world, but it is, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And I just also want to point, make that point again, that prayer is probably the greatest thing that everybody here in this room can do um, to have a part in missions. And um, when we pray for missions, God will be the one who works and not ourselves. We can go out, we all go, and we're not accomplish much by our own selves. But if we pray to God, he'll be the one that works. And he'll be the one who challenges our lives about our place in missions and what we can do. And uh, not everybody is called to go out and be a missionary. And some are called to go out, but others are called um, to stay behind and support those that go out. And um, I'll just read you another quote from that book, Don't Waste Your Life. Um, it says, No, you don't have to be a missionary to admire and advance the great purposes of God to be known and praised and enjoyed among all peoples. But if you want to be most fully satisfied with God as he triumphs in the history of redemption, you can't go on with business as usual, doing your work, making your money, giving your tithe, eating, sleeping, playing and going to church. Instead, you need to stop and go away for a few days with a Bible and notepad and pray and think out how your particular time and place in life fits into the great purpose of God to make the nations glad in him. How will you join 
the great global purpose of God expressed in Psalm 67:4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So stop, pray, and think. How does your particular time and place in life fit into the great purpose of God to make the nations glad in him? And how will you join in the great global purpose of God? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Because God has placed us right here for a reason, and we can be involved, and we are to be involved in missions in some way or another. But how will you be involved? You have uh, a choice. You can go, you can give, and you can pray. And there are those that, that go, and there are those that give, but we all should be praying. And... Um, what will you do? Um, Shelley is going to Kenya. You have the choice. You can go with her or you can stay behind and you can support her. Um, it is important that we all have a part in that. It's been, mission work has been compared to somebody go, who goes down a well, a missionary. He goes down a well and he needs people that stay behind and hold the ropes for him as he goes down that well. Um, and God wants us to be in either one of those categories either those that go down in the well or those that hold the ropes for those that go down and it is important just as much as the person that goes down in the well must be fully dedicated to God in, in his purpose in life and, and, and doing the Lord's work it is just as important for those that hold the ropes that they are fully dedicated to what they are doing also um, so this presentation, I hope, it was not so much about me and my time in Papua New Guinea, but I hope it was something where you saw something about, to, about you. It has something to do with you. And um, what will you do about missions? How, how will you join in? And I think I've probably run over by a minute or two, but um, just uh, thank you for your time, and I uh, pray that you all really... Find your place and, and God blesses you as you serve him in missions in the way that he calls you to. Thank you.